Jesus promised there would be clear indications when his earthly return is imminent. But are you an end time sign watcher like me? End time signs continue to converge and they should compel us to share the good news for the last days. Jesus is returning soon and the craziness going on all around us in the world points to the end of what we've called the church age. People are more open to hearing the truth because they're afraid, they're confused. This is our opportunity to speak truth about Bible prophecy to every open heart that God brings across our paths. The Jerusalem Channel is made with the support of you, our viewers. Thank you for watching. I'm Christine Darg. I want to encourage you always to keep your eyes on Jerusalem, the one place God calls His city, the place where He dwells. God says Jerusalem belongs to Him. Yet the nations dare to try to carve it up in His face. But in the book of Zechariah, chapter 12, verse 3, in the end times, the whole world will focus on Jerusalem. That verse says it will happen in that day, the last days, when all the nations of the earth are gathered against her, that the Lord will make Jerusalem a very heavy stone. And everybody that tries to heave away Jerusalem will surely be cut in pieces, though all the nations of the earth are gathered against Jerusalem. So how could this city that has previously been reduced to rubble time and time again become the center of world attention. Israel's capital, after all, has no major rivers nor natural resources except for rocks, but actually Jerusalem's connection to God is its great treasure. Jesus said his second coming, his return to earth, will be coordinated with events transpiring in Jerusalem. World leaders shuttle back and forth to Washington to confer with the administration there, but Washington is not going to be the center of the world, nor Beijing, despite the ambitions of the CCP to rule the world, because Jerusalem is God's city. That makes it my favorite city, and it should be the favorite city of every genuine believer when you think about it, because God testifies in the scriptures more than one place that he will always have a lamp for David in Jerusalem. He'll always have a candle burning for Messiah, the son of David. That's why our ministry center in Jerusalem is called a lamp for David. It's just a humble flickering candle for David, for Messiah, honoring God's never-ending love for the capital. It's the Lord's chosen place, the place of Bible prophecy, and his favorite place in the universe. So lest we get caught up with the cares of this world, which is so easy to do. At the beginning of this program, I want to mention why it's so necessary to study Bible prophecy carefully, frequently. First of all, number one, Bible prophecy exists to demonstrate that the God of Israel is God. There's no God but Abba, and Jesus is his son. Yeshua is his Hebrew name. 
the God of Israel is the only God in charge of this world, and he exists outside of time. Therefore, he sees the whole picture. Says the Lord in Isaiah 46.10, he declares the end from the beginning and from ancient times things that are not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure. The second reason why we should diligently study Bible prophecy is that Bible prophecy proves this word of God is true because the Bible is the only book ever written that contains genuine fulfilled prophecies. And so we can place our faith and trust in God and in this sure word of prophecy. A third reason to study Bible prophecy is to remind us that God is in complete control of this seemingly out-of-control world. He's the sovereign over history and the future. So Bible prophecy teaches us not to fret because evil will be punished. And while we patiently await the appearing of our great God and Savior, the Lord Jesus, God is mercifully providing time and space for souls to be saved. To repent means a change of mind, to turn from evil, and to return to God. Bible prophecy assures us that judgments are coming, but God is mercifully granting everybody time to get right with him. A fourth reason why we study Bible prophecy is to give us hope. These days, I need hope more than ever. Don't you need hope more than ever as you see our world literally falling apart at the seams? Jesus has promised he will return to redeem his church before the great tribulation begins. Then he will defeat evil. And finally, he will begin his prophesied thousand-year kingdom of peace and righteousness on earth. Yes, the Bible teaches that Jesus will be vindicated by God with a literal thousand years of ruling a kingdom here on earth in Israel before history transitions into eternity. The rapture, the great snatch, is described in the New Testament in 1 Thessalonians 4.17 as our blessed hope. Therefore, we encourage one another with these prophetic words. And all who have this eager expectation of the Lord's soon appearing will keep themselves pure, the Bible says, and ready. A fifth and very important reason to study Bible prophecy is that it serves as a warning to unbelievers about their eternal destiny if they fail to put their trust and faith in the world's only Savior. And so the Bible calls us all to believe on the Savior, the Lord Jesus, and to appropriate for ourselves His loving sacrifice on the cross, allowing us to be reconciled to God and to have a share in the world to come. Meanwhile, and this is so exciting, in Israel, closely connected to Bible prophecy is archaeology, which continues to prove the validity of the Bible week by week. One discovery after another is gloriously being uncovered. While preparing this program, two amazing recent discoveries were announced. A five-letter inscription dated around 3,000 years ago with the name of a biblical judge was unearthed in excavation south of Jerusalem. The inscription bears the name Jerubbaal, 
which is actually recorded as an alternative name for Gideon, one of the biblical judges in the book of Judges. Gideon triumphed over the Midianite invaders of Israel, and the Bible says that Gideon prevailed with just a small army of 300 soldiers whom the Lord whittled down from thousands. And intercessors are rejoicing that this archaeological find is another end-time sign because the story of Gideon in the Bible is a prototype of how God uses a remnant to confound the mighty. And all God ever needs is a remnant who are fully sold out to him as his spiritual warriors. Are you part of that remnant today? Also, it's so exciting that the name Jerubal was painted on a fragment of a clay jar because God's battle plan to Gideon actually used earthen jars. The surprise plan of warfare was for Gideon's men to frighten the enemy by loudly blowing shofars and smashing large jars with torches hidden inside. This is the first time that the name Jerubal was ever found outside the Bible, giving historical reality to the biblical text. The archaeological find was described as extremely rare. Also, according to the Israel Antiquities Authority, the fact that Bible names are discovered in excavations proves that memories were preserved and passed down through the generations. Also, a profound God incident, not a coincidence, but what we call a God incident, was announced recently during the season known as Dire Straits, when Israel remembers the breaching of Jerusalem's walls and the temple's destruction. Archaeologists uncovered a section of the very walls that were breached by the Babylonians in 586 B.C. A vivid account of the sacking of Jerusalem is recorded in the Bible. The Babylonians breached the walls of the city and tore down the temple, but a part of the wall survived, and it was uncovered by archaeologists working in the city of David's national park. You see, the stones are literally crying out the truth of the Bible. I just love looking at this ancient remnant of Bible history because Psalm 102, 14, one of my favorite verses declares, your people love every stone in her walls and cherish even the dust in Jerusalem's streets. The massive wall structure, some five meters wide, was built on the steep eastern slope leading into the city, just a stone's throw from the Temple Mount. Archaeologists speculated that the steepness of the area probably preserved this section of the wall from destruction during the Babylonian conquest because the invading army likely decided to access the city from an easier direction. Now, the archaeological remains of this wall solved a decades-long mystery because in the 1960s, during excavations by British archaeologist Kathleen Kenyon, and later in the 1970s by Israeli archaeologist Yigal Shiloh, remains of a massive wall were unearthed in two different spots on the slope. However, because the two structures did not appear to be connected, most scholars at the time did not believe the stone structures were part of a city wall. 
Of course, Jerusalem's walls are described in the Bible, but archaeologists still wanted real evidence. But now we can say with certainty that the city wall did exist, and behind the remains of the wall, the ruins of some houses are visible. Multiple artifacts were also uncovered, offering a glimpse into the daily life of Jerusalem. Fragments of pots and pans and seals, some of them carrying inscriptions. For example, one stating Lamelech, referring to the king. This type of seal was featured on jars apparently used for tax collection. Also discovered was a small Babylonian stamp seal made of stone and dropped by one of the invading soldiers. Now, I want to turn to another topic related to Bible prophecy concerning the ongoing restoration of relationships between Jews and Christians. My Israeli friend Jonathan Feldstein, founder of the Genesis 1-2-3 Foundation, is one of many outstanding bridge builders God is raising up to facilitate friendships between Christians and Jews. And recently, Jonathan asked me to comment on what I believe motivates Christian support for Israel. And my response would be this. Christian support of Israel stems from rightly interpreting Scripture that God's covenant with Abraham in the book of Genesis is still ongoing and it's not finished. God has great and mighty purposes for Israel yet in the future. Prophetic intercessors pray into the Lord's vision of Jerusalem as a house of prayer for all nations, which will become a reality during the future period in history called the millennium. That's a Latin word for 1,000 and refers to the prophesied thousand-year reign of King Messiah that's mentioned in the book of Revelation chapter 20 when Jesus returns to Jerusalem to restore the kingdom to Israel. It's important to understand that Christians who embrace Israel mainly hold to what's called a premillennial understanding of the scriptures, meaning that the Bible teaches Jesus will return and intervene in history before he restores the kingdom to Israel. And then he will rule the earth from Jerusalem for a thousand years. But other Christians are post-millennialist. They believe the church will be the instrument to accomplish the millennium and that Jesus will only return at the end of the millennium. And thus these Christians tragically tend to see themselves as the chosen people of God, which is a misinterpretation of scripture amounting to replacement theology, claiming the church has Replace the Jews in God's program, which is not true. Postmillennialists rather naively see the church bringing in the kingdom of God. And so tragically, postmillennialists tend to write off or to dismiss Israel as just another nation. And they utterly fail to grasp the significance of the rebirth of the nation of Israel as prophesied. And of course, it happened in 1948. When Christianity attained a position of supremacy in the Mediterranean world in the 4th century and became the official religion of the empire, the church tragically began to allegorize verses about the thousand-year reign of King Messiah. And thus, erroneous replacement theology invaded the church and consequently much anti-Semitism ensued. My Orthodox Jewish friend, Jonathan also asked me, to what extent is end times theology a motivating factor in Christian support for Israel today? 
And my answer is that sound theology is everything. We have to get it right. We have to correctly handle this word of truth. You see, how the Bible is taught and interpreted is extremely important. A believer's view of the future has tremendous impact on our attitudes and actions. According to Bible scholars, more than 30% of the Bible consists of prophecy, revealing how future events will unfold. You see, our Heavenly Father doesn't want His children to walk in the dark. His Word is a lamp to our feet. And one of my mentors, Bible teacher Derek Prince of Blessed Memory, from whom we learned many things in Jerusalem, held very sound doctrine. And Derek taught that Israel is like the top button on a shirt. If you get that wrong, all the other buttons are wrong. The amillennial or postmillennial paradigm is just deceptive because it doesn't take into account God's future for national Israel. In 1975, Dr. Bill Bright, founder of Campus Crusade, and Lauren Cunningham, founder of Youth for the Mission, developed what they believed would be world-changing strategies. Their mandate was to effect change in nations by reaching seven spheres of influence in society, known popularly as the Seven Mountains Theology. The seven spheres of influence or seven mountains are religion, family, government, education, media, business, arts, and entertainment. While admittedly some great soul winners are associated with the seven mountains theology, we have to acknowledge that the Bible never teaches the church will subdue the world. Only Jesus at his second coming will subdue the world when he rules with a rod of iron. But the church can make disciples in all nations and can do exploits to effect real change. However, kingdom now, so-called dominion theology of the post-millennialists fails to interpret the entire Bible correctly, especially prophecy. We just have to come to realize that a literal interpretation of the prophecies in the Hebrew Bible gives us a picture of the future earthly reign of King Messiah. After all, the Jews in Jesus' day were anticipating the establishment of a messianic kingdom on the basis of a literal fulfillment of Hebrew scriptures. But Jesus will fulfill all those verses when he returns. Many Christians today jump ahead of Jesus, claiming that we can take over the world and the seven spheres of influence. It's true, we can influence towns, cities, and nations, but we cannot totally subdue them. However, prosperity within recent decades has given a false sense of security, especially tempting, I believe, Western evangelicals to believe that we can conquer the world rather than focusing on the soon coming return of Jesus to restore the kingdom to Israel. And so just get out and preach the gospel. The greatly declining apostasy in the churches, coupled with worldwide lawlessness, makes hollow the claims that evangelicals will conquer the world before Jesus returns. The reality is, God simply favors the return of the Jews at this time. His end time purposes revolve around preaching the gospel as a witness in all nations, and then the second coming of Jesus to Jerusalem will happen, followed by the restoration of the kingdom to Israel. 
but post-millennialists are focusing on establishing God's kingdom on earth now. They're hoping the gospel will be accepted by the vast majority of people. That optimistic scenario will happen, but only during the thousand-year reign of King Messiah, when he produces an epic of genuine peace, prosperity, and glory, when his knowledge covers the whole earth. Unfortunately, for centuries, the replacement theologians preferred their speculations above the stated word of God. For example, in his commentary on the book of Daniel, the church father Jerome argued that the saints will in no wise have an earthly kingdom, but only, he said, a celestial one. Thus, Jerome tragically called the 1,000 years a fable that must cease. But that assertion was a direct contradiction of the very word of God in Revelation chapter 20. And Jerome was not alone in his attack on literal millennial expectations. For example, in City of God, Augustine repeatedly dismissed any hope for an earthly or physical millennial kingdom. And for centuries, his, quite frankly, unbiblical view, unfortunately, has prevailed. Well, it's so interesting to me that after the two devastating world wars, the utopian concept of post-millennialism almost died out. But the last 25 to 30 years of great prosperity in the West have opened the door for post-millennialism to creep back into the churches to the extent that it's majorly taught in the mainline churches. And the result? A social gospel and a lack of teaching on Israel and Bible prophecy. Premillennialism, on the other hand, harmonizes the entire Bible. Only premillennialism provides a satisfactory conclusion to history. In fact, after the Lord's return to earth, described in Revelation chapter 19, the next chapter, Revelation 20, very plainly prophesies a thousand-year reign of Messiah. And when Jesus returns, Israel will not become just another Christian nation, but Israel will remain as God's Israel with its holidays, its Sabbaths, its temple, and for a thousand years of rule under King Messiah. Even the Feast of Tabernacles will be kept during the millennium. And Isaiah 2, 3 will come to pass. Many people will come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the temple of the God of Jacob, for he will teach us his ways and we will walk in his paths. The law will go forth from Zion and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Now God's road map for peace in the Middle East for all the descendants of Abraham is found in Isaiah 19 where a highway is described connecting a messianic league between Egypt, Israel, and Assyria. So Arabs will certainly be at peace with Israel during the millennium. In fact, God has given me great faith for peace between all the children of Abraham. In the 1990s, the Lord sent me on a prophetic prayer mission to the United Arab Emirates to loose the Arabian Peninsula in prayer for his holy end time purposes. While Bible prophecy, specifically the book of Daniel and the book of Revelation, foretells that the region will suffer a temporary deception by the anti-Messiah during the great tribulation in the future. Nevertheless, 
Ishmael's descendants will dwell peacefully in the presence of all of his brethren. That's according to Genesis 16, 12, and it'll be during the millennium. That's why the Abraham Accords foreshadowed the closing of the church age and the soon return of the Prince of Peace to rule the region. According to Bible prophecy, the land will be divided under a false peace treaty, but the problem will be solved with the return of King Messiah, who will rule the world in the midst of the Isaiah 19 highway of peace between Egypt, Israel, and Assyria. As the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior is approaching, there's no other time in history more urgent in calling people to put their faith and hope in God alone. You see, the church age was never intended to last forever, and it will only continue until the fullness of the Gentiles is saved and brought into the church. And then the church age will end with a rapture, and God will turn his full attention to redeeming Israel. Already Bible prophecies about Israel becoming an exceedingly great army have come to pass against all odds, even after the Holocaust. But yet to come is the Isaiah chapter 17 prophecy about the destruction of Damascus, as well as the growth of a greater and safer nation of Israel, as described in Ezekiel chapter 38. In the meantime, the most difficult part of being a Christian who supports Israel is explaining that our support of Israel's return and Israel's right to exist does not mean that we sanction every unrighteous policy that goes on in presently secular Israel, such as their policies on abortions and the city of Tel Aviv being hailed as the sin city of the Middle East. Christian solidarity with the people of the book does not depend upon which government is in power, but solely upon the prophetic promises of God to restore and to redeem Israel in the latter days, and they will return to the Lord. We are, as believers, always to be biblically correct, not politically correct. The end times or the latter days refers to the end of the church age and the arising again of restored Israel, as God has surely promised. So we stand with the God of Israel, period. It's so important to understand the times from a biblical point of view and to know that Jesus will return and that he is the world's only Savior. Only his merit can save you. It's so important as we see history winding up for us to end our lives well, to stay in faith. The church cannot save us. A pope or a rabbi cannot save us. Keeping the law can't save us. The Bible teaches that there's not one person who is altogether truly righteous. That's why we have to have a savior. But when we receive by faith the blood atonement of Messiah, then we are given the absolutely free gift of our Lord's righteousness. Well, I really enjoy sharing with you today, and please stay in contact on social media or through our website, exploits.tv, where you can explore our entire video library for free and catch up with my weekly blog about events in Israel. Our program is called Exploits because Daniel 11.32 says the people who know God will be strong, not weak, and will take action doing exploits, the works of the Lord. 
We also invite you to download our free Jerusalem Channel app so that you can watch our latest videos. Download that app from your favorite app store. Praying earnestly always for the peace of Jerusalem. I'm Christine Dark. Shalom. And say with me, Maranatha.